Morning, church. It's good to see you. Um, for the, if you're new here, my name is uh, Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I was reminded uh, last week uh, that if you're new or if you've been here uh, for a long time, that you are not here by accident. We believe in a God who orchestrates things with a sense of purpose. So you are not here by accident. In addition to that, God wants to meet with you today, every day, but especially right here, right now. He has a word for you to encourage you, whatever it is that you're going through uh, right now. And so it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit can open your minds to receive uh, the encouragement of the gospel that he has for you and that your faith would be strengthened and that you would discover the joy of, of the Lord, even in the midst of a chaotic world, a world that seems to be falling apart. I, I don't know about you, but uh, God needs to remind me of how, I weak, how weak I am. And um, I don't want to be reminded how weak I am. I don't think anybody wants to be reminded how weak they are. Most of the time, we live in denial about it. Uh, or we live in denial about our weakness, or um, we're crushed by it. And uh, that's not what God has for us. That's not the life that he has for us. He wants, us to rem- he wants to remind us, he wants us to know that we are weak so that we depend on him. Because he's the one with the strength. He's the one that works in and through our lives. And, and life can just grind us down, can't it? I mean, with broken relationships and work not going right and stressed out financially and sickness and, and all that kind of stuff, we forget that we have a God who loves us, who is sovereign, who's in control, someone that we can depend on, who wants the best for us. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to remember when everything's falling apart. Maybe you want to grow in your relationship with God um, and with the church and be, you know, represent him well in, in, in the world and you think, I can't. My life is tough enough as it is. And I'm supposed to live for God on top of all that? I'm supposed to be in fellowship? I'm supposed to worship? I'm supposed to pray? I'm too weak for that. I want to tell you that it's because you're weak that you need to pray. Because we're weak that we need to worship. Because we're weak, we need to be in fellowship with with each other. And, um, you know, we've been going through this series um, called Back to Our Roots, looking at the early church and um, people who were living under uh, the oppression of the Roman Empire. And the Apostle Paul has the audacity to go from city to city to call people to Christ and then to mobilize them to advance his kingdom. Even when they're under all that pressure, even when everything is falling apart, it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, um, I'm thankful for God's word, and I'm thankful uh, that what we read in the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, is Jesus' followers coming to him and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. That is an expression of their knowledge of their need to pray. And he was asked twice, and both times, Jesus gives them the Lord's prayer. We pray this every single morning in our first service, and I want us to read this uh, together Um, out loud, all of us together, um, right now. It says this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this prayer right here, Jesus leads us to acknowledge that God is all-powerful. He created the universe. He holds it together. And then he invites us to go to him as our father. That blows my mind. Secondly, he leads us to acknowledge um, that he is worthy of glory because he is holy. And the very next thing he has us to pray for, the very next thing he has us pray is your kingdom come. I want to focus on that this morning. We're about to finish our, our series, our Back to Our Roots series. We have one more message next week. And in this series, again, we're looking at the early church, learning from them. We're learning from the Apostle Paul and the way he engaged people with the gospel, which is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, and the power of that message to, change, to transform you know, hearts and lives. Every city he went to, as we've been looking in this, in, this, um, in this series, every city he went to, the gospel was proclaimed, people believed, lives were changed, cities were transformed, and eventually the Roman Empire was transformed. How? It was through the power of the gospel. It was through Jesus and who he is and what he's done, that truth. What we've been looking at throughout this whole series is we've been, we've been watching God answer that prayer, your kingdom come. Throughout this series, we see, we see uh, the coming, the advancement of God's kingdom. That is exactly what Jesus taught his disciples to do, and then they prayed it like good disciples, and then they lived it out. But it was in total dependence upon God, because they didn't have the strength to do that. So he calls us to pray for that and then live for that. But here's, here's, here's what I know. Too often, we forget to pray for that. Too often, we rely on our own strength. We convince ourselves that we're strong enough to, to tackle life head on and all the brokenness. Too, too often, we, we work and serve in our, in our own flesh and our own strength to to make a successful church or whatever that means. We forget to pray. I'm too weak to advance God's kingdom. And so are you. All of us are. And so that's why Jesus leads us to pray. And before we finish this series in Acts, I, I just want to make sure that we're not pushing God's kingdom forward with our own efforts, but that we are praying God's kingdom forward with the gospel. And all throughout the book of Acts, what we read um, is constantly followers of Christ getting together and praying. Disciples getting together and praying. The church planters getting together and praying. Why? Because they know they can't do it in their own strength. They're totally dependent upon God. And I want to make sure that that's where we are too. That we know that we're not strong enough, that we need God we desperately need him to work. We need to trust him and trust the power of the gospel. 
My hope is that by the time we're done here this morning, you feel that conviction, that, that need to pray for God's kingdom to come. That's my hope. And if you are con- convinced that's something that you need to pray for, you need to do something. Praying that can get you in trouble. It can get you in trouble. This prayer is for the current kingdom to pray, your kingdom come. It is a prayer for the current kingdom to be replaced. The leaders of whatever dominant kingdom in the world is, they, they don't want that, do they? They don't want their kingdom to be replaced. The, the people who are loyal to the dominant kingdom, they, they won't have no appreciation for that. This prayer, your kingdom come, is subversive. So let me ask you something. Are you ready for the blowback? Because there will be blowback. Jesus tells us that. If this is your prayer, it means that you will be a part of this subversive organization that is committed to the overthrow of the American government and culture and the government and cultures of Brazil and China and France and Russia and Kenya and all the other governments in the world, right? We're told the government rests upon his shoulders. My purpose this morning is to recruit a people, to mobilize a people, to pray for God's kingdom, to live for God's kingdom, like the followers of Christ did in the book of Acts. We're going to wrestle with two questions this morning. The first question is this. Why do we pray this? Why do we pray your kingdom come? For one, if you're taking notes, First one there is because the status quo is wrong. Things are so messed up and broken and dark in our world that, that, you know, repair work is pointless. It's just like organizing the chairs on the Titanic, right? The truth is is the world is totaled and the world must be overthrown if it's going to be livable. The the world needs to be liberated. The world needs to be liberated from racism, war, and injustice. The world needs to be liberated from oppression of the weak, homelessness, starvation, schoolyard massacres. The world needs to be liberated from emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. The world needs to be liberated from exploitation through prostitution and pornography. The world needs to be liberated from the killing of countless unborn baby girls and boys in the name of personal rights. The world needs to be liberated from judgmentalism and self-righteousness and greed and pollution and disease and the abuse of power and the corruption in business and government. The world needs to be liberated. Death and destruction is the status quo. And the status quo is dead wrong. We weren't created for all that. And you know what? In our hearts, we know it's true. I mean, we long to love and be loved, but our relationships, I mean, don't last. But even in the best marriages, eventually, one day, one of you is going to stand alone by the, by the graveside. 
Our hearts long for justice. That's why we're filled with righteous indignation. You know, when a rapist goes free on a technicality. Our hearts long for beauty, but so much of the time, most of the time, all the time, everything around us decays and crumbles. Why in the world is our world so messed up? Because the wrong king is on the throne. And the wrong king will inflict the people with suffering, with oppression, with foolishness, and then suffering becomes the status quo. So we pray against that. The status quo is wrong. So we pray your kingdom come. Secondly, we pray your kingdom come because a new world is dawning. The wrong king may be on the throne for now, but I'm telling you, his, name, his days are numbered. A new kingdom is dawning. When the rightful king is on the throne, everything will finally and fully be the way that it was meant to be. Now, how do we know that's even true? Why should we even have that kind of hope when things seem so hopeless? You know, we could do a whole series on that. Maybe we will one day. But let me just say this for now. The strongest argument that a new world is dawning, that we can have that, that, that expectation, that, that hope, which is not wishful thinking, but it is a promise of God, we can expect that, know that a new world is dawning simply because Jesus has convinced us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He is the strongest argument. Jesus is the strongest argument that a new world is dawning. Matthew, in his gospel, records the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, as soon as he started his ministry, and we see that in his gospel, that Jesus came to us preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. Those, we were told, that's what you look for. How do we know that a new day is dawn? Well, Jesus will come preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. One commentator writes about that, his notes on that section, is the handwriting is on the wall. See Daniel chapter 5. So we go back to Daniel chapter 5, and we see God's people in exile in, in Babylon. They're living under the oppression of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and, and the wrong king is on the throne here. And Belshazzar, he hears that, that Cyrus, king of the Medes and Persians, are, are, are camped right outside of, of Babylon with his army, and they're prepared to kind of swoop in and invade and overthrow Belshazzar's kingdom. And so what does Belshazzar do? He throws a party, a big raging party. He invites a thousand of his nobles to a banquet. And he brings all of his wives and all of his concubines, which was probably very awkward for everybody. <laughs> Belshazzar doesn't care. To start the party, eat and drink, get hammered. Oh, and by the way, let's see how sacrilegious we can get while we're at it. It's the epitome of arrogance. An army is poised to attack Babylon. Belshazzar is so confident that his kingdom will endure that he throws this major party, this crazy party, the night before the battle. They guzzle wine, party hard, worship their gods, and out of nowhere, in the middle of the party, 
this hand appears and starts writing on the wall, just a hand. Starts writing on the wall, engraving in the plaster of the wall. Belshazzar is so frightened, his face turned pale, his knees knocked, his legs, his legs gave way. That is exactly what I would have done. <laughs> the hand wrote, many, many, Tekel and Parson. Daniel the prophet was brought in to interpret what it meant. Numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Daniel the prophet said to Belshazzar, God has numbered your days. He's numbered the days of your reign, and he's brought your reign to an end. And you have been weighed on the scales, and you have been found wanting. And your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that night, Belshazzar was killed, and his kingdom was overthrown by Cyrus and his army. So, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus launches his, kicks off his ministry, when he starts his ministry, the handwriting is on the wall. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection tell us that a new world is dawning. The days of this world's kingdom are numbered. And this world might, be, might, might party like everything's okay, but the curtain is coming down on this broken world because a new king is advancing. A new world is dawning. And if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a follower of King Jesus, he has brought you into that, to be a part of that. Your life belongs to him. And he's called you to be involved with him in the advancement of God's kingdom. It's work that he does, but he expects you to be involved in it by trusting him. Are you following King Jesus? Are you involved in the advancement of your kingdom? Maybe you think, oh man, I just I got too many other things going on right now. I'm too weak. I can't handle it. That's why Jesus gave us this prayer. Your kingdom come. And then he answers that prayer in ways you never expect. In ways that you don't even see. Some of you have experienced that, huh? Next, we pray this because typical revolution won't work, so we need subversion. We use subversion. Typical way to overthrow a kingdom and replace that kingdom is with another military force and political power. Neither work for what Jesus is talking about here. But we trust that. We look to those means all the time. We look to the, that strategy all the time. We forget that the Apostle Paul teaches us that our struggle is not with what? Right. It's not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces. We don't overthrow the world with weapons and power, but with life-giving truth and courageous love. Doesn't that sound naive? That sounds so naive, doesn't it? We're going to overcome the world with, with life-giving truth and courageous love. Now get out of here, hippie, with your flowers. Sell that to somebody else. 
The truth is, is if that sounds naive to us, it simply means that we think Jesus is naive. If that sounds naive to us, to us we think that Jesus' ways are foolish, unreliable, and cannot be trusted. But what does Jesus use to advance his kingdom? I'll, I'll list four things real quickly. First of all, he uses a people, right? We are told, he tells us, that you are a city on a hill. He tells you that you are a new city in which King Jesus is already ruling and reigning. And in this new city, it, we are supposed to show the watching world what the kingdom of God looks like as we worship him, as we love each other and serve each other and proclaim his truth and, and, and live out God's kingdom values to live in line with the gospel. The world is watching that. And God wants to use that to draw people to himself into his new city. We're told that the church is made up of living stones fitted together to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. That's how this works. Next. He uses a light. He says, let your light so shine that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So not only do we love each other, but we love the people around us. We love the down and outers, the up and outers, and the way outers. And it might be difficult for you to do that unless you've been one of those. God calls us to love people that don't love us. And when we do, we demonstrate that Jesus is king for all people, all nations, all ethnicities. We demonstrate that Jesus is king for all people. We give light and hope to the world that God loves, and one day, all things will be made right. That's your hope. Do you believe that this morning? Next, he uses a story. Jesus shows up telling stories about his kingdom. He'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that, and then he'd tell a story. But we, his followers, we tell a story also. A story about King Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and his, his ascension, his return. A story about redemption and, and restoration and, and, and renewal. A story about forgiveness and, and healing. A story about life in his kingdom. And Jesus... Finally, the last thing I'll mention in this section is he uses, for better or for worse, what I'm calling a battle cry. The method that supports all methods is prayer. That's why, that's, that's why Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come. That your kingdom come, that right there, that is our battle cry. That is your battle cry. Your kingdom come. We'll talk more about that at the very end, but my last half here is my, our second question, which is, how does God answer this prayer, your kingdom come? How does he answer that? 
His king, first of all, uh, when we pray your kingdom come, God answers that prayer through salvation. That's one way. His kingdom advances when he rules and reigns in our lives. Listen, there was a season in my life um, that was very dark. I, I, I remember my dark days. I barely remember my dark days, but I do remember most of my dark days. It's all kind of a haze. My life was filled with emptiness and the worst kind of rebellion. I was not a cool rebel, whatever that is. I was a foolish rebel who thought he was cool. I didn't need God. I didn't need to live his way for him. I'm going to live my way for me. But you know what was going on? God's people were praying, your kingdom come. And because they were praying, your kingdom come, I mean, that is a prayer of salvation. That is a prayer asking God to invade the hearts and lives of people like me who rebelliously lived in the darkness of the enemy's domain. God had to drag me out of that, and then out of sheer grace and love, he adopted me as his son because God's people were praying, your kingdom come. Man. What a difference that makes. Living far from God, barely interested, if at all, to being adopted into the family, walking with him. Paul says in his letter uh, to the church in Colossae that God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. We are a citizen of one or the other, either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of his son. There is no neutrality. Switzerland is not an option. <laughs> Tom Levine reminded us of that yesterday in our men's group. Switzerland's not an option. It doesn't work that way. You know, for now, God's, God's kingdom is... It's an underground kingdom. King Jesus sends his followers undercover into a world to undermine the status quo kingdom of self-centeredness that causes all this destruction that we see. But the kingdom of self-centeredness is heavily defended territory. So Jesus gives us a subversive prayer. Your kingdom come. In other words, Father, I long to see your name glorified in the life of my children, in the life of my boss, my spouse, my neighbor. And so I pray, King Jesus, that you would, that you would invade my heart and my home and my neighborhood and my city. Establish your kingdom, Lord, in the hearts of all of us. That's what we're praying for. And that's something prayer only God can answer. So we need to look to him and trust him. So let me ask you. What kingdom are you a part of? I think that's one of the reasons why you're here this morning is to consider what kingdom are you a part of? If you don't have any interest in the kingdom of God, that might help you figure out what kingdom you're a part of. God's calling you into his kingdom to find true life. 
And maybe you think, you know what? I think I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm not sure. I try to live a good life. I hope I make it. I can identify with that kind of thinking where we feel like it's up to us. But here's what Jesus had to do for me by, by his grace. Jesus had to show me that in order to his, enter his kingdom, I needed to be absolutely 100% perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. But you know what's weird? I'm not perfect. And neither are any of you. None of us are. Only Jesus is. So God says, I will give you Jesus' perfection as a gift. You receive it by faith. That's it. Does that sound too good to be true? Well, if you think you're going to earn it yourself, you're doomed. You can't. You receive it by faith. But, you know, that's the problem. My faith is too weak. Look, here's what I've learned. I have learned that I could have the strongest faith in the world, tons of confidence. But if that faith is in myself, I am lost in the kingdom of darkness. But if my faith is in Jesus, here's what I learned. If my faith is in Jesus, it does not matter how weak my faith is because Jesus is strong enough to save the weakest of us. That is our God. Secondly, he answers our prayer through loyalty. To pray your kingdom come is to ask Jesus to reign and rule more fully in his church and in our lives. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, um, and, and he says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than, than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know what God's word is telling us here? God's word is telling us here that it's possible to be a citizen of the kingdom of, of heaven and still live as if we're in the kingdom of self. So that means... It's extra critical to pray your kingdom come. Every day, all day, to be preoccupied with that. Jesus, rule and reign in my heart. And in this situation, uh, Jesus, uh, you drive out the kingdom of, of self and establish your kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in my heart and in, in my life. Praying for that is a declaration of faith. Anybody here been hurt physically or emotionally, relationally? Yeah, I think most of us have. So when someone hurts you, you pray, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, advance your kingdom in my heart so that I respond with, with forgiveness instead of bitterness. That's totally different than the kingdom of this world, right? When, when you are tempted, no one, no one here is tempted to do anything destructive to themselves or others, right? We all are. And when you're tempted, you pray, 
that Jesus, your kingdom come as I, as I turn from sin and submit to, to your righteousness. I need you. When you're under pressure in, in your family or work or finance, whatever it is, you pray, Jesus, Lord, your kingdom come so that I'm filled with your peace and, and, and anxiety and that, that my joy is, is not attached to my circumstance. When you suffer, and you will suffer, you pray your kingdom come, King Jesus, so that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the pain, in, in, in the midst of the, the discomfort and the agony, I, I am filled with your joy and worship you as opposed to just totally overwhelmed with darkness and complaint. You cannot muster that up on your own. That's something you, we need Jesus for. We've got to pray for that. So the kingdom advances in our lives through salvation, through loyalty, and then lastly, through our king's return. God's kingdom comes ultimately when the king returns in all of his glory. And so we pray your kingdom come. When we pray that, it's to pray that Jesus would return quickly. One day, I don't know when, We've been longing for this for a long time. People are always predicting he's going to come actually next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We don't know when he's going to show up. We don't know when he's going to consummate history. But one day, God will answer that prayer, and the heavens will open up. Jesus returns, and a whole new world will be established. And I don't know when it is, and I can't tell you everything that I can expect, but I do know that peace and joy will be our constant reality. Suffering will be no more. No sorrow, no sickness, no pain. Every tear will be wiped away. All the wrongs will be made right. Righteousness and justice will reign forever. The battle with sin will finally be over. No more struggling with temptation because we will finally be holy as he is holy. And that life will never end. No more severing of relationships. No more weeping at the grave because death will be no more. And we can know that in the center of that kingdom, there is, at this very moment, the king who became a lamb, looking to slain, and yet standing because our Savior lives. And we can know that we will fall before the Lamb in perfect praise and adoration, singing words like the words we find in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom to serve God and they will reign with you forever and ever. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So, when you walk the streets of your city, when you read the news or watch the news, 
when you see suffering, when you see injustice, when you see violence and death, you pray. You pray, Jesus, your kingdom come. King Jesus, please come quickly to make all things right. I want to encourage you that that's my one encouragement is to pray. It's an expression of faith. I'm not saying that you pray when you're strong. You pray because you're weak, and we need the power of God unto salvation, which is the gospel and his Holy Spirit to make it effective. And you'll be blown away as you see God work through you and in spite of you. So pray. That's my encouragement to you. Pray for that. Your kingdom come. I want, you, I want you to pray for it on your own. I want you to pray for it with your family. I want you to pray for that in your, in your DNA group, your discipleship group. I want you to pray for that in your home group. I want you to pray that with your ministry team. I want you to pray for that this morning, right here, right now. Jesus, your kingdom come. We need you. So when you pray your kingdom come, you're praying for salvation. You're praying for loyalty. You're praying for the return of King Jesus to make all things new. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?